0: Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. of Jim Bob Goley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany hop in the Kings Herald Barbershop.
1: You're listening to the Kings Herald Show, a bi weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs. Ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. I'm Will Griffith, and with me today and every day on this podcast are my two companions and the real brains of this operation. First up, longtime Kings writer, currently with the Kings Herald, old Zippy himself, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how goes it today?
2: Uh, It goes great, Will. Excited to talk Kings. Thankfully, we have plenty of free agency and preseason stuff to talk about,
1: so I'm, I'm ready to get to it now saving the best for last and the real reason you've all tuned in today. He's a former Sacramento Kings head coach and color analyst, a general manager of a WNBA champion, an Indiana Hall of Famer, and the true pride of French Lake himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, how goes it today?
0: Well, it goes great. You know, obviously get into the weekend and get to talk some basketball and uh, watch some top college football as well as uh, some early season college basketball. would be great.
1: It's never a bad day when we get to talk about sports on here. Okay, so the first thing we wanted to get to today, we were we, we were talking kind of in hypotheticals of the last uh, the last episode around because nothing had truly dropped, but we, we now have it official that Bogdan Bogdanovich is headed to the Atlanta Hawks. Um, the Kings get nothing in return off of that, and he's headed for four years and seventy-two million dollars. Jerry, can I get some just initial thoughts on that on that process in general?
0: Well, it's, it's always difficult. You know, I always say with, with uh, most teams uh, people always talk about free agency. And I always think that one of the key ingredients and parts of free agency is keeping your own, especially ones that you want to keep. And I, I do think the Kings probably wanted to keep bogey, but maybe not, you know, due to the financial situation uh, that, that had to be a determining factor. Uh, Having said all that, I, uh, I, I, I really think it's a mistake uh, to not keep him. I think he's an asset. Uh, I think Bogey's a pro's pro, uh, a guy that was good with his teammates, uh, coachable, all that. And, you know, how, what role he had, that's for the coach's front office to determine. But he's a he's a player. And, uh, you know, the old deal of you you're losing for flexibility. And, 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 you know, just as an old coach, I, I know it's very difficult to uh, – to score points with flexibility. Uh, I've never seen flexibility or cash considerations ever make a shot. And uh, so, so when you're trying to, you know, uh, basically get better, and certainly in my mind, Bogey probably has his four best years ahead. And so, you know, I know a lot of people want to count basketball and everything, anything over 20 years old is over the hill. And uh, I think I think we kind of know that is not true and never has been you know, as far as actually competing at a high level. So, uh, you know, the Hawks are fortunate. Uh, they, they got better. The Kings, uh, you know, did not get better. They Now it doesn't mean they can't because here again, you know, you've got some other considerations out here. Tyrese Halliburton may develop way quicker and faster than anyone uh, can, you should expect, but it's it's very possible. So, but, but you put yourself in that spot. And, and then I think with the, the front office, they've also, the term flexibility, it needs to be used and, uh, as, as, as positively and as quickly as possible.
1: Uh, Tony, talk to us a little bit about the report that came out yesterday about the, uh, the, uh, the kind of the nitty gritty of that, of that Atlanta Hawks deal a little bit. Could you explain that to us uh, from your perspective a little bit?
2: Yeah, it was a really interesting report from Sam Amick, who's very reputable uh, in Sacramento. And he essentially revealed that the Atlanta Hawks, at some point between when the season ended, when free agency began, offered Monty McNair uh, a protected first round pick from Oklahoma City, which it's top 14 protected. Oklahoma City is is kind of overtly tanking at this point in which case that pick turns into two second rounders the next year. So we're really talking about two second round picks here. So it's not as if it was a a huge asset loss for the Kings, but uh, the report as Amick put it was that the Hawks were worried the Kings were going to match because they had recently offered him this protected first round pick and they turned it down. So, and I, you know, you can understand why the Hawks would be worried about the Kings matching because if they're, if, they're, uh, if they just offered you a, a protected first and uh, you decline, I think that sort of does imply, well, they they kind of plan on keeping this guy. Um, but what Amic didn't include in that was a concrete timeline of when this negotiation happened. And that is the key detail to me because it's easy to look at the story and say, uh, oh, the Kings could have traded Bogdan Bogdanovich and gotten ultimately two second round picks and they just decided to give him away for nothing instead. That's sort of the implication. But if that negotiation was happening at the same time as the Milwaukee Bucks trade uh, and McNair was sort of like juggling both those deals at the same time, I agree with what McNair wanted to do, which was go get Dante DiVincenzo instead, because he's certainly a better asset than two second round picks. If the Bucks trade fell apart and then the Hawks came in offering this uh, highly protected first round pick and McNair still said no. And then the Kings ended up losing Bogdanovich for nothing. That seems like an error to me. Again, not a major error because we're talking about two second round picks, but I kind of like to put things like this in the, the Vlade Divak filter because fans, myself included, were pretty critical of the, the last a few months of Vlade's tenure. And this is a move that if the report came out and it was Vlade, we were talking about fans would be like, what, what did Vlade do? He, he messed this up. He didn't get two second rounders. So while I'm giving McNair the benefit of the doubt, to some degree, I do have to acknowledge my own bias where if this was under a prior regime and we heard that this weird scenario came out where they could have got two second rounders, but instead they got nothing, um, I think you'd see people a lot more critical with McNair. People are giving him some time. And again, we don't know the details. Mc didn't give us everything. Um, so that's sort of, I, I know that's sort of a riding the fence kind of a take on it, but it's hard to have a, a concrete opinion when there are too many details we don't know. But it definitely is interesting. I mean, it definitely is something that we will look back on years from now. Maybe we'll get more details and we'll figure out when, when what the timeline was. But, uh, but yeah, that was a weird report. And I'm not sure what to make of it because we don't know the timeline exactly.
1: I think that's a good way of thinking about it too. I, I hadn't thought of it before. If I viewed the world through Vladi colored sunglasses, how would I have seen this deal go down? And I'm, I'm sure if i had read that yesterday and it had not been McNair's name, but Vladi's name, I'd have put my head through a desk. I'd have, just, I'd have just assumed the worst though. Well, we had a better deal two days ago, you know, two different times in this deal. We had one with the Bucks and with the Hawks. And so uh, that is a good way of thinking about it. And I think you're right that there is some inherent bias in giving Monty McNair uh, this chance right off the bat to, to, to prove himself and, and not, not jump one way or another too far. So I don't, I don't think that's necessarily riding the fence as much as it is just sensible and practical. Jerry, you being a general manager, um, one of the things that they talked about was flexibility, and you brought that up. How difficult would it be to? It sounds to me like the Kings are trying to get off of their big contracts and trying to move more towards Darren Fox's age and timeline. And um, is there a big difference between juggling, trying to trade, say, a Buddy heel a Harrison Barnes, an Amanya Bielitsa, and then throwing in a matched Bogdan Bogdanovich into that mix? Or is, you know, trading four guys versus trading three guys off of off of different deals in different situations. How much is juggling those balls uh, complicated by throwing in one more ball into the mix in a Bogdan?
0: Well, it certainly, uh, I think it makes it, you know, if trading is your goal of, of trying to trade those players with those contracts, it all depends on how well they play. Uh, you know, uh, it's not, it's never a problem to, to trade somebody with making, probably more money than they're, they're worth, so to speak, if they're good, because every team has somebody they'd like to, I've always said, any contract you sign is okay as long as you can trade it. And and, and especially trade it uh, without having to take back something you don't want. Now that that's the conundrum. In other words, uh, yeah, you you could probably trade those uh, contracts, but you might have to take back something worse. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we've seen that. Uh, over the years so so it makes it more difficult uh and, and you know going back to the the bogey thing like i said i i uh, disagree with it uh, but i get i give, I'd give uh, i certainly give money uh, a pass on this i mean i do think you you have to judge kind of front offices like you judge point guards you better give them three years uh you know and then every move is not going to be out ideal this one may turn out ideal uh depends on flexibility and, and these other things down the road. But but, uh, you know, yeah, it, it, by by signing Bogey and keeping Bogey uh, it, it, you you know, you keep an asset. Could you trade it for down the road? My opinion is you could uh, sure. easier, easier than the other two. And sure. so that that's just how I'd look at it.
1: So let's uh, let's let's move on then a little bit here. Um, we we've dealt with with Bogdanovich now, and let's get to uh, something that kind of got log jammed because of this Bogdanovich situation. Free agency started. Obviously, the Kings' priority was figuring out what they were going to do. Right off the bat, they signed Darren Fox to uh, to his max contract, um, and then they they held Pat waiting for this Bogdanovich situation to re- to uh, to resolve itself. And then from there, they pretty much sat quiet. They they picked up um, three big guys. They picked up. Uh, Chimezi met to they picked up Hassan Whiteside off of a minimum deal and they picked off of uh, f- they picked up Frank Kaminsky which seems like it's more of a camp deal than anything else um, um, Tony would you would you talk about any of those moves in particular and the ones that you like versus the ones that you felt uh, were a little puzzling
2: I think um, it's hard to to be uh, for or against some of these moves because I do think kind of like what Jerry was saying we don't have a clear picture of what the plan is yet. I think some of it is in some ways uh, contradictory to not matching the contract on Bogdanovich. I would have wanted, I would have matched the contract as well. Uh, But I think, you know, the, the reason that becomes um, palatable if the plan is some sort of young rebuild reset. Uh, And and I think one report that came out is that the Kings are one of the first teams to interview with Derek Jones jr in free agency. They didn't get him, but he was obviously very high on their list because they were the first team that Jones Jr. talked to when free agency opened. That's a move that I could see uh, in light of not matching Bogdanovich. That makes a lot of sense. All right, we're going younger. Jones Jr. is 22 years old, unrestricted free agent. We can build around him to not match Bogdanovich and then sign largely veteran players, especially someone like Asan Whiteside. Not a lot of upside there. We know who he is. Frank Kaminsky, we know who he is. Uh, Glenn Robinson Jr. Maybe a little bit of upside, but we kind of know who he is too. Um, I, I think the plan so far. I don't necessarily see what the clear direction is. Are they competing for the playoffs, or or are they going for a high draft pick? I don't know that we know yet, and I'm not sure that's a bad thing. I just think it's the facts. I think we'll know more by the deadline. If the Kings come out hot, maybe McNair will add. If the Kings come out slow, maybe he'll deal some of those veterans. So I think it's too early to gr- like grade the signings. Um, I, I don't think it's been like an incredible off season, but I'm not super critical either. Cause I just don't think we know yet.
1: I think the biggest thing there is that they didn't really add money to the pot here. That's you true. Know, every yep. single one of these guys has been added for some sort of minimum deal, some sort of uh, camp deal of some sort. And so, and, I mean, I, I, I know that there was a lot of people that we, I mean, we all called for, okay, let's give this guy a chance let's see what's us get behind the general manager and and see what direction he wants to go in and right now i think the direction is don't spend a lot of money you know I, I and that's not necessarily an ownership thing as much as keeping cap flexibility you know whichever one of those is the decree it seems like okay let's get some some cheap talent here uh, i mean hassan whiteside did put up you know, raw numbers, you know, they're, they're kind of empty at times, but they are, they are raw numbers, you know, 15, 13, and three blocks. He is a premier shot blocker in the NBA and they got him for a minimum deal. That's not a bad move in, in, in a vacuum. Um, Jerry, what what were your thoughts on these moves? Did you have anything there that you were thinking about? Well, no,
0: I, I pretty much agree with what Tony was saying. I mean, I certainly don't think there's anything there that should uh, concern you. Obviously there are players there's a reason that they were available for minimum deals sure. uh, and, and you're not risking very much. I mean, I haven't said that. I, I, uh, you know, with Hassan Whiteside, I mean, if, if in fact there's, he decides to really play, uh, he's good. He's yeah. really good sometime. Now the key mm-hmm. word there is sometime. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't know if anybody ever knows when that is, but, uh, <laughs> But it's certainly it's the right length of contract and the right amount of money. And the yeah. same way with Kaminsky, who I see as a, you know, basically he's another, you know, sure thing lottery guy that has proven to be not very good. Right. Uh, you know, a, a, a role player, basically a role player. He is a highly, he is skilled for seven footer, you know, plays like a six, five guy that's seven foot, but, but, uh, you know, they, they could, might find a role depending on, on, uh, they want to play so again no risks involved and you know as you pointed out I mean Glenn Robinson I, I think he's pretty much like the other guys you know what who he is and what he is he's he's a guy who can make shots and you can put him in games and if you count on him for big minutes you're probably going to be disappointed for any length of time so I mean that's a reality I mean he is he going to take minutes from Harrison Barnes or something well no no I mean, if he does, uh, you're you're in worse shape than we thought. Uh, so, so, uh, but but I, I, in fairness to Monty, I think they're all, you know, hey, uh, why not take a flyer on the Sun Whiteside? Uh, I mean, me personally, uh, I would have loved to see him keep Alex Lynn. Uh, yeah, I I, th- I thought I thought honestly, and he's not near as talented as Whiteside, but he he seemed to me to play tough and hard every night. In, in, in the minutes he got and had an impact on every game that he was in. And I thought just, you know, he's young too. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a young, tough, uh, improving big man who was a high draft pick who shouldn't have been that high, but it's, but it's since proven to be pretty darn good, you know, in, in, in a specific role. So, so that's just my thing. I mean, but it, it's, you know, you're talking backups, backups for backups. So it's, it, and, and like I say, the contract for Whiteside is, is great. And, and it might be, and I say might, you might be catching lightning in a bottle to where the world is settled in on the sun. Uh, so it's where he knows that, I, Hey, I've got it. if I want another contract, I'm going to have to bring my A game a little more regular
1: Sure. Were either of you guys surprised at the money that was handed out this offseason? Obviously, we're in a pandemic. We we're in a situation where teams were playing in a bubble and 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 begging the league for money or finding ways to get fans into the stands, it seems like. And and yet when it came time for for time to hand out the money, they seem to be doling out a lot of money and a lot of money to guys that are more super role players you know yeah i think of like a davis bertans who who's going to be making four years 80 million dollars uh there was a lot of centers that did get get paid and most of them by the detroit pistons and um (laughs) and and so were you guys surprised at all by the amount of money that was handed out uh, judging by other world circumstances right now
0: well certainly i I wouldn't say terribly surprised. It seems like I used to be surprised and I realized that you can't be surprised, Uh, you know, with what teams will do. It's uh, whether it's overpaying their own free agents or or overpaying to get somebody else's type thing. And, but, you know, I, I I would agree. I I think I would have been a little more concerned if I were an owner. I'm just confident that, you know, there's, there's some storm clouds on the front here, Uh, you know, with future TV deals, Uh, when can you get butts in the seat Uh, a lot of franchises simply are losing a lot of money and of course that will be reflected back on the players at some point Uh, so so am I surprised no Uh, uh, but I think I think there'll be a little hell to pay uh, down the road.
1: Tony what do you think?
2: Uh, I wasn't surprised because I feel like this happens every year where we look at the teams that have cap space and everyone goes like, Oh, there's no money. Like there's going to be some bargain contracts, but teams find money and they pay guys a lot of money. Um, I guess the only thing that surprised me was that, you know, I'm a crazy person. Like I guess anyone that follows the Kings are. So I'm always projecting what Kings free agents are going to get. And I put it in my mind, like, all right, before free agency opened, what would be an overpay for Bogdanovich? And I was thinking, 20 million would be the, the imaginary cutoff where I'd go, that's a lot. I was a little surprised that he only, and I use that, you know, in quotes because it's still a lot of money, got 18 million. Not that I think he's worth more than that, but when you see, like you said, Bertans gets 20 million per and Joe Harris gets about the same amount. And I think Joe Harris is really good. I think Bogdanovich has a more uh, a, a wider range skill set. Where those guys might be a little bit more limited as shooters, Bogey can shoot at a very high percentage, and I think Jerry said it last week: his percentage on the Bucks or a team where he doesn't have to handle will probably go up into the 40s, like Bertans and Harris. But he has a lot of other duties. He can handle the ball. He can pass the ball. So that's a player that I would have, uh, you know, given that Danilo Gallinari 20 million or the Davis Bertans 20 million. He only got 18. And I think that's the part that stings about the Kings not matching is I do think if there was any bargain, not that 18 million is a bargain for Bowie, but I think that's a very palatable contract in today's NBA versus the contracts that we saw get handed out in free agency outside of him.
1: Was there a deal for you guys that, um, that either surprised you, uh, in free agency or, or, um, in in good or bad was there was there a single deal that stuck out in your mind that you went oh that's a that's a good contract or ooh, that's that's that one's going to be the one that hurts here in a couple of years that's going to be the backbreaker for some team three or four years from now well you know i
0: i like it. obviously i like the and i hate to say this uh the lakers you know getting montrez harrell uh i mean that guy that guy is uh you know will fit very well there i think because he he and, you know, whatever role he's put in, he's going to produce big numbers very productively. And I, I hated that, by the way, but but I thought that was a, a terrific uh, signing on their part, uh, just off the top. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, obviously there's, I think you look around the league and, uh, you know, certainly some, a lot of r- rumored trades, I thought uh, would would be made that weren't, you know, and, and I think that, that, you know, still may happen, but, uh, Later on, but yeah, haven't really thought a lot about the any of them just jumping out at you. I mean, honestly, I I, I was probably the the ones that surprised me the most was a little bit like what Tony is talking about uh, you know, the probably the overpay on Burkens and and Harrison I like both of them too, but I, I certainly think Bogdanovich is a better basketball player than either one of them, yeah. and 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 I think will prove to be, uh, you know, that have a, a more get more. Sp- Role and more valuable role on good teams at some point.
2: Tony, did you have anybody? Um, off the top of my head, I'll, I'll stick a little bit local with the Celtics. I thought Tristan Thompson was like a perfect fit for them at the MLE. And he's sort of kind of fallen into obscurity in Cleveland since they haven't been a team that's on national TV or anything recently. But he's still a double double guy every night. And the Celtics are a team just because I've watched them a lot. They've needed a big tough guy in the middle. And to get a guy like Thompson, who despite all the miles on his body, I think he's still only like twenty nine thirty, and he's there for I think two years. He's going to give them a good presence in the paint for two years. And I also thought Christian Wood with Houston for oh, yeah. uh, I don't remember the exact terms in the contract, but I remember it coming in much lower than I than I thought he would cost.
0: Yeah, that, I, let me yeah let me comment on the Christian Wood. That guy is one of those guys that just like wow, he just kept getting better and better and better. And I, I think a terrific uh, pickup uh, by by Houston and and on your Tristan Thompson thing, I thought the thing that struck me there was with he and Daniel Thice, both guys. I mean, you know, Tristan's the little bigger, better version of Thice, and you got forty eight minutes of tough guy mm-hmm. uh, who will rebound and try to protect the basket and don't even want the ball, yeah. and you've got a bunch of guys who want and need the ball. I I, I think it you know Celtics took. You know, even losing Hayward, I, I think they've taken a nice, nice step forward, really.
1: Yeah, I, uh, the, one of those things about the Celtics is they're kind of developing a bench that they do have some tough guys that'll come off of it. I'm, I, I'm afraid of any time Marcus Smart and Tristan Thompson will be on the floor at the same time because if I'm going oh, to a layup, I'm, I'm gonna hurt. Getting you know, if, I, if they're gonna foul me, it's not gonna be a light foul. I'm, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be icing that shoulder later.
0: Yeah, yeah, Marcus. Marcus Smart reminds me of the old Larry Bird story about uh, uh, Ron Artest. You know, when we traded for Ron, I, I know I'm getting off the subject here, but it just—it was one of those deals where I'd called Larry and uh, Jeff wanted me to find out information from Larry about Ron, and and we'd give honest information about Pagea to, to Larry, which which we did. You know, I mean, we're going—I'm not going to lie to Larry, and he he's never lied to me, but but he was saying, yeah, let me tell you about Ron. He said. Uh, I'll say this right now. He said uh, half the guys in the league are scared of him and the other half ought to be. And <laughs> and, 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 and that's and that's exactly Marcus Smart. Half the guys <laughs> in the league are scared of that guy and the other half ought to be.
2: What do you think of uh, the Ron Artest era, Jerry? I feel like there's got to be some. I mean, I thought I loved watching him with the Kings. I thought he was very I mean, the Kings won that trade clearly, in my opinion, but also I was kind of sad to see him go. Like I was obviously a little cautious going into that trade because he was coming right off the suspension, but he came here. He seemed like he was having a great time and he was, he was great.
0: You know, he, he, he was great with his teammates, you know, and, and that is another thing that Larry mentioned. He said, you know, he, he, his young teammates will love him, you know, the Garcia's Kevin Martin. And that yeah. was true. That exactly happened. And uh, you know, and he, and he said, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a terrific player. He said, uh, you know, the problems are very simple with Ron. He said, you know, he's, he's, he'll try to do what you ask. Uh, I said, you can have a nice conversation. He'll agree with everything. And the minute he walks out the door, it, he's forgotten. Uh, You know, I said, it's like dealing with a 12 year old where you have a heart to heart and then it's, he said, but, but, you know, you can't help but like him. He said, and, and that's the way I found him very likable. And, and obviously a gifted player, mm-hmm. a very gifted player, you know, and, uh, but, you know, he, you know, his, his, uh, downside was obvious, you know, I mean, mentally, uh, he, he couldn't stay focused consistently and probably, you know, he had almost hall of fame talent, yeah. uh, but, but, you know, and, and that's part of it, uh, it's fair, you know, if you can't stay focused and you can't stay hitched up and be a hundred percent coachable, then. That's what
1: happens. Ron Artest was one of the few guys that I saw go to the Lakers, and I was okay with it. There's very few players that the Kings have ever had that, they, you know, there, there seems to be a pipeline that later on in their careers, these Kings players will end up going to the Lakers. But Ron Artest was one when he won a championship with L.A. I was pissed that L.A. won, but all I could think was like, okay, well, Ron, Ron got what, what he yeah. deserved on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't
2: know he he became so likable. I don't know what changed in him or maybe it was just the perception in Indiana was off. I mean obviously that, the malice in the palace had a lot to do with his narrative before he got to Sacramento, but it's it is crazy how likable he became uh, for everyone. Like I don't know anyone who doesn't like Ron Artest now. He's like he's kind of a he was a fun guy from Sacramento on, honestly yeah you know
0: his reputation even before that i i, I think uh with the bulls because i remember talking had talks with jerry Krause and you know but i think he was well liked oh, yeah. uh, certainly you know well liked by teammates mm-hmm. uh he was a little difficult i mean i don't think he was ever viewed as uncoachable but he was difficult with coaches because he just couldn't uh, focus and, and would forget you know would just lose his cool and things like that but but uh but for the most part, I'm not going back to St. John's, you know, I mean, he, it was a case where you can't find anybody didn't like him hardly.
1: Let's talk about trades so far. There's just one trade I want to talk about somebody who's kind of unlikable, but teammates seem to love him, And that's a, that's Russell Westbrook. And he was traded earlier this week for, um, for John wall in a swap with the Washington wizards. Jerry, do you have any opinions on that trade at all? It's kind of a, it's kind of a weird trade. It's two big contracts being flip flop for one another and players that are Fairly similar, other than injury history. Uh, do you have any opinions on that?
0: Oh, I do. Uh, probably not particularly accurate or, <laughs> or, 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 or elevating, but, but uh, I think it's a trade that could work both ways. Having said that, I, I definitely like it from Washington's point of view. Uh, you know, a lot can be said about Russell Westbrook, but one thing can't be said that guy brings it every night, every play is a ball buster deluxe. I mean, that guy, uh, I think he and Bradley Beal will be uh, a full night's work for, for a lot of teams. And and I think that Washington gets better. I think they have a, ch- you know, maybe a chance at a playoff run just because of bringing somebody like him. Now he's a diva and John Wall's a diva. So, you know, you, you the divas, but I think the one diva is just a tougher minded, competitive diva. And and I think he's probably willing to, you know, probably fit in a little better. Now Wall, of course, coming off injury, that's part of it. Uh, And so you don't know if he can get back to being John Wall. Uh, But I I do think he might be a better fit with Harden. And that's still the important part. Whoever fits better with James Harden, because James Harden's, I don't care who they have, he's gonna dominate the ball, you know. They could have a reincarnation of Stockton, Peyton, and Bob Cousy, and he's still going to have the ball. So that's what I think.
1: Sure, Tony. Do you think that there? This is a prelude to there was some discussion about maybe well, they trade John Wall? So so uh, right away, all, every all the all uh, all of NBA Twitter seems to assume, well, uh, a James Harden trade is next. James Harden's probably leaving, and it's probably to the Nets. I saw this as a move to help placate James Harden a little bit and not necessarily get assets back so that you can still have a competitive team after James Harden is gone. Is, is, do, you, do you fall on one side or another on that, Tony? I think Washington won the trade
2: in the sense that I'm like now very excited to watch the Wizards. And I think the bottom of the East got kind of fun. It's been pretty depressing for years, but with the Hawks and Wizards suddenly being competitive with these fun, weird teams, I'm much more interested in the East. And I always like to see good talent go that direction um but i don't i don't really know what houston's deal is james harden hasn't even reported to camp yet he was at some like rappers party or something a couple days ago and he's just not like training camp has started and your best player isn't there so i I don't know i don't know what houston's plan is i don't know what if james harden still wants to be there i know um adrian wojen Ruskri reported that uh harden preferred Wall to Westbrook, and that was part of why they did the trade, like you guys were saying, to sort of whatever makes Harden happy is what the Rockets want to do. But I don't know if Harden, I don't know how all in Harden is with Houston anyway, considering he's their best player and he's he's not a training camp yet.
1: It's one of those things that even if John Wall had not had his Achilles injury, I'd have preferred Russell Westbrook on my team to 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 John Wall. And yeah. that's not a strike against John Wall at all. It's just I think Russell Westbrook's a better player. That with his Achilles injury where he hasn't played since 2018. Like that's one of those things that they're taking advantage. I think of an ownership and of a a general managership that they might be strapped for cash a little bit and looking to make, I think, I think I read a report that they saved $200,000 over the lifetime of John wall's contract uh, by switching him for, for, for Russell Westbrook. But it, 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 it concerns me a little bit, especially for Houston, because John Wall comes back and he is not the same John Wall. All of a sudden, James Harden goes from mildly perturbed to, to actively railing against his own team. And the assets that you get back from a Nets from, from any team that you try to trade, all of a sudden starts dwindling a little bit And the phone. The phone I mean, there's always going to be phone calls for James Harden, but the, the assets that you get back in return just aren't going to be the same.
0: Yeah, it's always tough to get value for a true superstar, and he really is. I mean, we, we can like his game or not like his game, but uh, you know, I always go back to uh, you know, when Milwaukee was forced to trade Kareem Abdul Jabbar at, at that time, and they got back three guys that made an all star team at some point in their careers, and and they still lost that trade big time because uh, uh, you know, quantity does not make up for quality, and and I think and I think that's. Sure. I mean, uh, will will Houston be forced to do that? Probably, you know. But you also look look. I always use Paul George as an example of a lot of things. You know, forced his way out of Indiana and actually made them better. Uh, forced his way out of Oklahoma City and actually made them better until Oklahoma City decided to, to blow it up themselves. So so sometimes you can by moving a disgruntled star, uh, you know, come out ahead. And that's what, uh, and Houston does, you know, they, they don't have a lot of leverage, but they have some leverage. I know normally you'd say they have all the leverage, but, but no, it's an entertainment business. And, and uh, you know, the old, if Jack Nicholson doesn't want to work for Warner Brothers, uh, Warner Brothers got a problem, uh, that sort of thing.
1: I, I think of a trade um, when, they tra- when the uh, Denver Nuggets traded Carmelo Anthony. And how they moved him off to New York and, and then the Nuggets had continued success for, for a great long time moving off of the guy who was the best person in the deal.
0: Yeah, no, it, it does happen. I mean, I think, you know, as to me, people, sometimes fans and media, uh, you fall in love with stars pat, well past their value. And, and that's and that's the, the problem, you know, because it is a star league and you have to have them, but, uh,
1: but not at all costs. So let's. Uh, Tony mentioned training camp. So let's get to training camp. Uh, Jerry, I want to pick your pick, pick your brain on this. So they're going to be. This is going to be a short training camp this year. Um, obviously, um, because of the pandemic and everything else like that, the Kings are going to. They have their preseason starting here in in six days. So was there ever an opportunity for you to to come into a training camp? Uh, uh, Corey Joseph mentioned that during the he came in during a lockout season, and that because of that they had a short training camp as well moved right into the season. Were you ever a part of a training camp that, that went as short as this one? And if so, what advice would you give to players or how would you run that training camp knowing that you have such a short amount of time before games start?
0: Well, the only one I can think of is, is the shortened season of for Rick Adelman's first year, you know, the Jay well and Pagia joining uh, Chris Weber and Vladi where things turned around, but it was a lockout season. You had a short training camp and then two preseason games, I think. Uh, and, uh, And of course it went well. And and the reason I say that at that time, because everybody had the same deal, you know, every team in the league had the same amount of time and you had a couple of games and then you went and played. So it was a fair, a very fair. And even though you didn't have as much time as you'd like, it was, it was equal. Now to me, this is different because it is the pandemic and you're talking about four guys practicing at a time and only so if, you know, for a few days or whatever. And it's like, I, I know I'm old school, but it's like I, I, I thought you kind of had to play five on five at some point here. I, I, I might be missing something, but if you want to put an offense and a defense in and, and I know they'll get to that. But uh, so it's really tough. I, I, I really just don't believe it can be a, a any team can have anywhere near the kind of camp they need. Uh, I think by having the four preseason games, that may be the best thing that could happen. I would say normally most preseason games are a waste of time with the exception of maybe the last two. But I think uh, this year, I think, honestly, that I can see some real value there to where the, you know, coach Walton and his staff will have a time, you know, use that games in order to prepare for game for actual games.
1: Is there something that you would give as advice as a coach or a manager to a rookie, like a Tyrese Halliburton, um, knowing that there's going to be a short camp is there anything you'd want them to maybe emphasize or or not worry about when when uh, when they come into camp like this
0: yeah i, I think only thing i would say to, to a you know really high valued player like tyrese and the expectations is uh, okay this is unusual circumstances and and we we know you it's not fair to judge you uh, like we normally would in, in normal circumstances, and we're not going to Sure. Uh, you just come in and, and get better and work to get better, be coachable and figure out how to, how to adjust to the league because you will have to adjust to the league. They don't adjust to you.
1: Is, is there an emphasis on what you would place on, on uh, as a team? Would you, would you be more willing to, especially with Luke Walton, we've jettisoned some of these important players like a Bogdanovich and whatnot, and you're bringing in new guys, especially big guys, and like a Hassan Whiteside is this something where you're, you would try to lean on your defense early on in the season and implement uh, defense first, or is this something where you're trying to, to get your offense going because you know, that's kind of, you know, you, you got to score points to win the game. Where, where would you lean in terms of, of pushing the team towards, would you be focusing, you know, a certain percentage on offenses versus defense, or would you just kind of split it down the middle and hope that by the time the season starts, they get enough of both of those to, to be successful.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I I honestly think it, it, obviously this team has been very poor defensively. We, we, those of us that have two eyeballs have spotted that. And, uh, but, but I, I honestly think you're going to have to focus more on offense because offense is patience, poise, timing, all those things where, where defense it's, it's, it's basically hustle, scrap, determination, uh, you know, I'm you know taking things personal. Well, you should have that right away. You can you can. It, to me, it's a little easier to to start with a lot of effort and scheme from there. But for, with offense, I mean, and my goodness, it you're going into a season pretty quickly, and and you want to uh, be basically, I think, be an up tempo team. I, for God's sake, hope so. And uh, and so you, you'd want you'd want to spend, I think, more time on that just to get out of the blocks. Uh, putting on a good show uh, as soon as possible. And I think that offense is uh, always maybe a little more important. And and the other side of it is if you are, if you can come out and be efficient offensively, that helps your defense because they're taking the ball out of bounds. I I know a lot of people forget that, but they, if you score, they have taken out you can, you can uh, get back on defense.
2: I think the Kings might benefit a little bit from playing in the bubble because that wasn't that long ago. I know I've talked about the Hawks a million times. This is becoming a Hawks podcast, but that's a team that hasn't played in nine months. So they're them coming in with the short training camp might be, you know, very difficult. The Kings at least, and they only made it eight games, but they were playing competitive basketball, not too long ago. And for as much as I was worried that the basketball might be bad coming into the bubble, I thought it was pretty good on a, on a short time frame so that might be one spot where the kings get and unfortunately the teams that are already that have been playing in the playoffs it's sort of a rich get richer situation they might be better off though and maybe significantly better off than some of these teams that didn't make it to the bubble those eight teams i think it was eight that hasn't played since uh what was it march of last year i mean that's a long layoff at least the kings had been back in a competitive basketball scene um in the bubble and i thought the bubble basketball was pretty good so
0: uh, boy, I agree with that, Tony. I mean, I hate to admit this. Tony's making a lot of good points. It's getting depressing. Thanks, but uh, I, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, I think it's right. I think the the teams that didn't get in the bubble obviously are disadvantaged. I'll tell you something else. I think maybe the last four teams that played in the finals are at a disadvantage a little bit. Yeah. I, th- I think mm-hmm. just from being worn down. So, you know, I, we'll see. I mean, I'd certainly, if you're a Laker fan, you, you'd rather have it that way, but I, I, I can't believe those, those final four teams really, it hadn't been much of a break. And I, I think uh, it, it probably will work, you know, just from a motivational standpoint
1: against them. I wouldn't be surprised at all. If LeBron James comes up with an early hamstring injury and sits the first month or so of the season, or some point in the middle of the season has a I don't want to say a bogus injury, but has a, a a light tweak that ends up being a little bit more, so he can sit for a month just so that he gets his rest. That man's put on so many miles in his career to, to oh, yeah. at this point to ha- to be on short rest is is asking a lot of that guy to do, and and so I think you'll see a lot of these stars, especially Tony mentioned James Harden not being at camp yet. I wouldn't be surprised if if James Harden has a a wrist injury of some sort that keeps him out for a month or. You'll see these teams try to get creative with their their injuries in a way to get their their stars a little bit extra rep.
0: Well, well, all all you have to do, those stars, really, if they want some time off, is just check Kyrie Irving's, how he's managed it over the years, all his various (laughs) ailments. (laughs) and and just
1: put
2: that into the plan you
1: know just pick from his
2: list Kyrie will not be talking to the media this year either just (laughs) throwing that out
1: did you hear about that that Kyrie Irving is is not talking to the media this year that he's announced that he's going through a media blackout good
2: good
0: (laughs) I I don't need to hear anything he's got to say I really don't I'm
1: (laughs) granted
2: I didn't read the full Kyrie statement so I don't want to I'm not if, if if what he said contradicts what I'm about to say then pretend I never said it um, but I think he said something about how, you know, he's tired of his, uh, his quotes getting misconstrued or the media mixing his messages. And I, like, I, I don't know what Kyrie's saying half the time either. So I don't really blame the media guys for like, maybe, uh, not translating it properly when he speaks in code. I don't even, I like, I don't know how to decipher sometimes what Kyrie saying. Um, so maybe, maybe it will work out for him. I don't know.
0: Well, especially you know, sometimes he's actually on video saying it.
2: Yes. You know, sure. Yeah.
0: It, it's not. It's not going to the printed word. You're actually seeing it. So, but again, it's uh, you know, it's Kyrie and great talent, great talent, and probably uh, in my mind a diminishing just of his of his talent because of some of his foolishness.
1: Uh, I, I I see it as a win-win situation. I don't have to hear Kyrie Irving. Uh, talk nearly as much, but I also don't have to hear media members trying to poke at him, trying to get th- that fun little sound bite mm-hmm. that they know is one question away, that they can just twist it <laughs> yeah, one yeah, more okay. turn of the screw and then they get it. So it's yeah, like, okay. Yeah. Focus on basketball.
2: In fairness to Kyrie, that definitely happens. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to, you know, go all against him, but he does a good job making it confusing on his own. So for, and you're right, Will, the media totally knows which guys they can poke for clicks, and Kyrie is definitely one of them.
1: Jerry, do you have any interesting, uh, I, I know you do, I'm, I'm going to ask you, do you have any training camp stories that, that stick out in your mind?
0: Well, the, the one that, well, there's two probably, and I, and I alluded to it earlier, the, uh, uh, the lockout season shortened when the Kings brought in Jay Will and Paige and, and, and Vladdy and, and C. Webb, and everybody remembers that C. Webb didn't want to be there. You know, it was talking about holding out and all that, and the team had to practice down the convention center. I think at that time, uh, downtown, which is interesting, it worked fine. Uh, but the, you know, the basket's still ten foot high and and and, and everything. And uh, but but I always re- remember because of the Weber hull Blue, and and you know, he brought a lot of it on himself. There's no doubt. But but you know, once he got there, and I mean, with Jay Will and Vladdy and those guys, they were so much fun to play with. And it happened right away and you could just see it, you know, it's like C web kind of those early practices. You can see, yeah, I don't, you know, kind of like feel sorry for himself and pouting a little bit. And then pretty soon, you know, you can say, "Damn, this is really fun. You know, I mean, you know, it's just so much stuff happening. And so, so that one uh, certainly I always remember that from a positive. And then just being in the league, my first year as an assistant coach, we, we had camp in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Yuba City, uh, California. And we had like three weeks of it, two a days for almost all. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah. And back in those days. And it's like, so I remember that just being, my God, is this ever going to end? <laughs> and, you know, and I was uh, happy to be in the league, but I was thinking, my God, this is just awful, you know. And then Phil Johnson, the head coach, was a heck of a coach and he worked them hard. But we had veterans that, you know, that, that was, you know, that's what people did then. They they practiced twice a day for weeks. So
1: anyway, <laughs> so the offense and defense were set by the time the season started. Then I'm yes. assuming here.
2: yeah, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. Jerry, uh, you you reminded me of something that I kind of wanted to ask anyways, and it kind of fits in the training camp thing. Um, you talked about a good Kings team where you could tell right away that you thought they might have something. We've on we're on year I think 14 of of no playoffs. Was there a year? in that frame where you thought the Kings had a really strong training camp and the coaching staff was talking as if everything was great and the players had a lot of energy and you thought that this was going to be the team to break the playoff drought based on the sort of preseason hype in training camp or has it just been we know it's not going to work out from the beginning
0: yeah yeah I can't say that no I, I can't say any of them really turned out Better than I thought, you know, I mean, the, I, yeah. I, I would say the the year that uh, the Kings first year of Brian Grant as a rookie and Michael Smith and they had, I think, uh, and of course, Mitch and Olden and that team really what came close 139 games, or, but didn't make the playoffs. But coming out of camp, I, I thought I thought that team really did have a chance just because it was so physical. Now the next year they did, did make it, but, but, uh, you know, you saw some, you know, something with the, with the rookies and, and like, say with Mitch, you, you had some boys, some tough guys. And, uh, and so I, I thought that team, you know, came close to really surprising the league and early in the year they, they did, it, it just couldn't quite, uh, pull it together. So, so that was a, a you know, real surprise. And then of course the, the year after well, last year to me, it was probably one of the more disappointing ones because uh, you really, really yeah. honestly in, in years, because you had reason to expect a good team sure. and it just come right out of the blocks and was blah, you know, it just was. Yeah. And uh, so it just really set the tone terribly. So those are, I mean, there's been so many ups and downs through the years, but those things do kind of you know, strike, strike you and, and you remember them. And, and like I say, I always remember the the page of Jay will editions, especially Jay will, I've always said, I, I was lucky enough to, as a college coach, work part-time as a, as a volunteer and stuff with Cotton Fitzsimmons with Atlanta Hawks when I was coaching in Georgia and I worked with Pete Maravich a little bit, or at least, you know, I was helping out and, and he, he, every day, he just did stuff that just took your breath. You just couldn't like, my God, this guy is, is, you know, he was decades ahead of his time, really. And then Jay Will was like not as good as Pete, but ball handling wise, he was better. You know, I mean he did everything yeah. Pete could do wow. faster. And and so it was so much fun. So I you know, it's just one of those things that, that as an old fart even as I was then, it's like, man, I, I couldn't wait to watch practice because goofy Jay Will do something make a play that take, you know, you just said that's not possible, kind of stuff. So yeah.
1: Let's uh, let's let's talk a little bit about preseason real quick here. The Kings have two games um, starting. So this starts Friday the the eleventh of December. So we're talking about next Friday. We're we're going to be watching Kings basketball in some form or another. They got two games against the Trailblazers Friday and Sunday, and then they play the Warriors twice as well. Jerry, when when you um when you go into a season like this, when you go into a preseason like this. Is, is there anything Kings fans should be looking for in terms of whether or not this is going to go poorly or going well? Is there any inside baseball that you can go, oh, if you see this, uh, then, then you know that the Kings are going to at least be competitive. Or if you if you see this, oh, well, you might want to turn it off and, and, and go watch a movie. Well,
0: well be really careful, I, I would say, because certainly the first two preseason games don't, don't attach anything. Uh, don't make any determinations but would be what I'd say and and overall I'd say in preseason that's normally the thing I, I think you want to uh, if you're a fan you want to see, see hopefully the fourth game you see a better looking team than you saw the first game regardless of the outcome but I've always said uh, uh, one of the worst teams the Kings ever had I think was five and two in the preseason end up winning 20 some games. And one of the, and one of the best was uh, three and five or something, you know, one of the, so, so, you know, it, it is a preseason. It, it is meaningless, but uh, kind of look for, I think look for big picture things. Uh, you know, what does Tyrese Halliburton look like? Had does, uh, does it seem like the they've got a rotation established by the time they come out of camp, things like that. Uh, oh, and just, just, were they fun to watch? You know, I mean, I, I think that's, that's as simple as I can make it. But I, I think if, you know, you, you would like to see by the end of pre you say, hey, you know what, I might, I might enjoy this much. And, and sometimes I've seen, holy crap, we
2: got to watch that 82 of these. Orion Green is the starting point guard. is the one I remember right away. Like, oh, okay. That's the guy <laughs> handled the ball for 30 yeah. minutes. Thankfully, I think that was the year Bano came. In. Not yeah. Not so much in again, but <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. We, we love Bano, but but.
1: Okay, so Tony, this is uh, we're we're leading up now to uh to the Patreon question of the day. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and take that away?
2: Sure. Um, for any first-time listeners, every week or every you know every time we record. We ask uh, Jerry a question from our patrons, and then once a month, we drop a uh, patron Q&A where we take all the questions that didn't get used on the show and put them all together uh, in a little bonus podcast. We put one out, I think, last week. So um, this week, the question is from Kevin L. And I thought this was a nice question because it is not about basketball, which speaks to, I think, what's fun about the Q&A is that sort of nothing is off limits. You can ask Jerry uh, literally anything. So the question is, Jerry, um, have you seen the movie Lady Bird, which is set in Sacramento and directed by a Sacramento native? Uh, and if so, what did you think of it? There is a small Sacramento uh, shout out in the movie. That question was from Kevin L.
0: I did see the movie and I really did enjoy it. And certainly it was really fun seeing the different parts of the city. You know, uh, even though I'm a Rosevillian, I'm familiar I, I, you know, familiar with that part of the city. In fact, we, we lived uh, down on Eastern and Fair Oaks when my son went to Rio Americana when we first moved to, to this area for a few years before becoming Rosevillians, not not reptilians, Rosevillians. But uh, so, so yeah, it was neat. I, I thought, you know, obviously she's a gifted filmmaker and uh, I thought should have had a good response and it did.
1: Jerry, do you know if you could spell Greta Gerwig's name right right off the bat?
0: GRETA, I know that. and then uh, G- I think GHERIG.
1: That- think you're pretty close if not spot on. Mm-hmm. This uh, Kevin is a Kevin is a, a, f- a friend obviously of the website and uh, he was in my previews one day when I made a joke about I was writing a preview about a certain team and I made a joke about Greta Gerwig, but I, uh, I spelled their name wrong. And uh, since that moment, um, I have absolutely refused because I got completely trashed in the comments about you can't even spell her name right. And this is the preeminent director from Sacramento. And uh, since then I have refused to spell her name correctly. And uh, I have a small beef with Greta Gerwig just based off of the spelling of her name. And so Kevin, uh, I assume Kevin Lamb wrote that question to, to hurt me as much as it is to get an answer from you. So Kevin, well, hope, it hurts. Yeah, I well, I hope
0: it. It, I didn't hurt you.
2: You pick on it, no. pick on Will.
1: <laughs>
2: Will, did you like it then? Or did you like Lady
1: Bird? I, you know what? I've refused to see it because oh, I have it? no problem with it. I've seen every movie that she's done. I really appreciated her as a director. But what I'm going to do is I'm holding off to for a specific monetary instance where I can <laughs> where I can monet, where I can monetize me watching you're, this movie. Either for <laughs> Will, you're you're as vindictive
0: as I am. I didn't.
1: Really <laughs> That's exactly right. I spelled her name one time wrong, and I refuse to spell her name right. You know, she is everything but Greta Gerwig to me now. And so I'm sure it's a great movie. I've seen it on Netflix. There's been many a times where I've been sitting there as a film buff gone. I really need to watch this movie, but could I, could I live with myself if I did? And the answer is no, no. So, mm. so I'll watch it someday when, when they donate $1,000 to the King's Herald. So that I that I do a live stream of it or something. Maybe like we'll set like a, <laughs>
2: a Patreon goal. Like if we reach yeah, the well, amount of yeah. subscribers will we'll watch later. That's
1: later. right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And a certain amount more and we'll have Jerry show up <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I'd watch it. Yeah. 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 I'm sure it is. It looks great. Yeah. It looks great. I just the commenters don't deserve me watching that movie mm-hmm. yet. So okay, Jerry, let's let's get to the uh let's get to the Jerry Reynolds wrap up then. Do you have anything for us today?
0: Well, you know, the, the only thing that comes to mind is I, I really uh, feel badly for Jim Kozimore uh, kind of, uh, purged, I think from the, uh, pre and post game show. And, and I just thought, uh, I was really enjoyed working with Coase. I think an ultimate pros pro, uh, you know, everything he does, he does well. And, uh, you know, just hopefully, uh, he's able to find what he wants to do with, uh, NBC sports, California or, or someone else. But, uh, I just think, uh, you know, over the years, you know, I, I remember him doing the Monarchs games and, and, uh, you know, has worked Olympics. Uh, certainly, have did some kings work uh, as an analyst, and 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 certainly radio. I mean, just obviously a very talented guy, and I, and I just uh, I feel like he's a real loss. I really do. And I, I say, I just think, just uh, enjoyed my two years working with him. Uh, you know, he he tried to make me look good, that which is uh, kind of an impossible task, but he did all he could. <laughs>
1: Well, for everybody here at uh, the King's Herald and for Jerry and Tony, I'd like to thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the King's Herald Show. And I'd also ask that you like rate and subscribe uh, anywhere that you get your podcast. And uh, we'll see you next time and thanks for listening. listeningffanyhop
0: the King's Herald Farhop.